0: No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. For national winners from a local perspective, you're in the right place. It's Balls, Bats, and Bets with Tim O'Keefe right here on The Gambler. So many damn topics we got to talk through tonight. This has been a wild couple weeks since we last spoke. Welcome in, everyone, to Balls, Bats, and Bets. As always, I'm your host, Tim O'Keefe. Uh, you can follow me at TKO underscore picks on Twitter and man there's i was literally i was doing my show prep today and there are an infinite amount of topics that we can cover so many in the world of college football playoff season getting close coaches getting fired suspensions coming out we're going to cover all that the whole thing with the the phillies and the off season with Aaron Nola seemingly getting further and further away and pitchers coming from overseas, potentially, as we're looking into that. James Harden having zero success out in L.A. We'll, we'll go through that briefly. And just so many other things. Eagles, Chiefs, Monday Night Football. But where I want to start is the uh, news story that's been going around revolving your 76ers and Kelly Oubre. So if you've been living under a rock and you haven't heard... Kelly Oubre off to a great start this year with the Sixers on a very cheap contract, had a great start to the year for the first, you know, seven, eight games. And then a couple of days ago, he is struck by a car and has a couple broken ribs and he's out indefinitely. Now that's obviously, he's a pedestrian just walking around. He's going through, he's hit supposedly by the uh, rear view or not the rear view mirror, a side mirror on the car. And that broke some ribs and he has a, Serious injury. Uh, he's going to be out for a while. Now, the story a couple of days later keeps taking. I don't know if it turn's the right word yet, but we just get statements being released from Philadelphia police that they have no evidence that this happened. This supposedly, it happened in Rittenhouse Square and what was supposedly a very uh, covered area in terms of cameras. I suppose. I, I keep using supposedly because, again, none of this. All of this is still being figured out, so take everything with a grain of salt, just rep- just repeating what I've seen everyone else talking about, and it's interesting because, yeah, if you're in that area of Rittenhouse Square, there's cameras everywhere. Also, guess what? Kelly Ubre is a, he's a big guy. Like People are going to see an accident happen in that case. Uh, very interesting situation there, and the police have no evidence at this point that it happened. Again, they're not and too... To be clear, the police are not saying that Kelly Oubre is misleading them or anything. It's just a weird kind of situation right now. Now, where does this take us? Where do we go from here? I mean, the honest answer is, in my opinion, again, no legal experience whatsoever. So everything you're hearing here is from Law & Order and anything other lawyer show on TV. That being said, I mean, just because there's no evidence that a crime occurred doesn't mean that Oubre is doing anything wrong. It certainly could have happened, and you know there's a misplacement on where exactly it happened or something, and there's just not a good camera shot of it. Um, the idea that, hey, he could be lying about it, i obviously that rumor is being now floated around with there not being evidence on the video. I, look, it's something that's going to be, I think, extremely tough to prove unless Oubre comes out himself or someone else says something about that, but as of now, that hasn't occurred. So... Just because there isn't evidence of the crime committed against him in the hit and run, doesn't mean that there's not any evidence that he was making it up. So it's in a very weird spot. I will say it's very um, Sixer-esque to have something like this happen. You know, with over the years, you got Simmons, Harden, uh, Brian Colangelo, uh, fake Twitter accounts, like so many of these weird things that have happened to this team, and this is just another one on top of the list. So we'll see. Obviously, hoping Oubre gets better just for the team's sake overall, Uh, and we'll continue to follow this story, but this is a weird one. This is absolutely a weird one. I encourage everyone, hey, keep posted. We'll see if anything else comes out of it. Admittedly, I do think this is one that, weirdly, at some point, it might just fade away because if there's just no new evidence one way or another— then what are we going to keep talking about? But obviously this week, really intriguing topic, and uh, we'll keep following that one. But with that, we'll stick with the Sixers and off to a very hot start. Uh, of course, the last couple nights have not been good, coming off a couple losses, uh, losing last night to Boston, the night before that to Indiana. But overall, Sixers eight and three to start the year, second best in the East. That's a that's a very solid start. Again, with, with the way this season began, with all the James Harden nonsense going around and trying to figure out what that was you're in a pretty good spot. Tyrese Maxey has been elite. I don't, you know, pick your incredible word, a phenomenon. Like he is an all-star. He will be an all-star this year. He is looking like an incredibly great running mate for Joel Embiid. Who's also again, playing at an MVP level. This team has talent. And you know, if you add a couple pieces and and I know everyone's talking about, go get Zach Levine, go get DeMar DeRozan. You know, everyone's picking off the bulls. Uh, I don't think that's the answer for this team, if I'm being honest. I just want more competent, like honestly, 3 and D guys. Guys who can shoot the ball and play solid defense. I, If you keep building around that with Maxi and Embiid being your stars, I really think this team could have a ton of success. You need athleticism to play Boston in the playoffs. You need athleticism to play Milwaukee in the playoffs. I don't need to give up a lot of depth. For a couple guys that are really good, like or that are streaky scorers, whereas I can just get some more complementary pieces that have that athleticism and be great. Honestly, again, not to circle back, but Ubre is a great example of this. Ubre is a great scorer who is athletic enough to cover wing guys. It's a very good fit. And that was a great signing by Daryl Morey, who, for all the hell that that guy caught in the offseason, and rightfully so to an extent with the way the Harden situation panned out. I am a big fan of the way Maurice built this roster, and he absolutely chose the right guy in Nick Nurse to run it because Nick Nurse's offense compared to Doc Rivers' offense, it is night and day. It is Again, the coaching equivalent of single A versus major leagues. That's what it is. Nick Nurse has so much movement going that it opens up Joel Embiid to do more in the middle and allows him to, you know, he's not Jokic. He never will be as that good a passer, but he is – Opening up that area of his game where he's able to play in and out more, and we have the pieces around him that excel that. Obviously, Maxi's been thriving in the Nick Nurse system. I this has been it's as good as a start as the Sixers could have. I know we're coming off two losses. I get it. Hey, it's a long season. It's a long season. But and did you really think we were going to win both in Boston during the regular season? Eh, maybe, maybe you did, but I did not. So splitting up there is fine. I. I'm excited for what the rest of the season is going to bring with the Philadelphia 76ers. I think mean, there's a ton of opportunity, and it's it's going to be really, really interesting to see how this uh, keeps playing out. And but yeah, we'll follow the Ubre situation, and hopefully he gets back. Uh, next, I want to jump over uh, to the Phillies. So obviously the Aaron Nola rumors keep going. I'm going to call it the wrong direction for anyone who wants to bring him back. Which I look, I love Aaron Nola. I have a Nola jersey. This is a it's a business. I, there's a number that John Middleton's willing to spend, and Dave Dombrowski has to try to maximize the roster within that number. Aaron Nola is going to command a ton of money, probably on this free agent market, second to Shohei Otani. I, I get Bellinger's thing up there really high, but I I think Aaron Nola is getting the second most, uh, the second highest total this off season after Shohei Ohtani, and it'll be a huge gap between one and two, just to be clear, but uh, that's the, that's the price it's going to take to get Nola. He's getting linked to Atlanta. He's getting linked to St. Louis. Atlanta obviously really hurts if he goes there because it's that division rival and all of a sudden it's a team that already was better than you in the regular season, just took one of your best pieces, Uh, would be tough to swallow, but we'll see again. I trust Dombrowski Hopefully they'll figure it out. If Nola goes somewhere else, they're gonna have to replace him. And the guy that's coming up in a lot is uh, Yamamoto from uh, Japan. So let me let's pull up some stats here. Uh, give me one second. You should. Oh, excuse me, Yoshinibu Yamamoto. I might have accidentally butchered a little pronunciation there. So please forgive me. Twenty-five year old pitcher uh, coming over from Japan had a one-two. ERA last season in the Japanese League uh, won their equivalent of the Cy Young uh, he has been an absolute elite player from Japan now hey not everybody from Japan that comes over works out but a lot of guys do case in point the number one free agent this year Shohei Otani now the, uh, Yamamoto is not a two way player he's just strictly a pitcher I don't, I, I've i heard a couple people giving different opinions on this he, uh, and hey what the hell I got a show I'm going to give you mine I am very interested to see the— I, I want the Phillies to continue to do a better job at exploring the foreign markets, whether that is in the Caribbean, the Dominican Republic, or over in the Asian market uh, in the Korean leagues and Japanese leagues. I think the Phillies need to do a better job at exploring those different markets because other teams have easily outpaced us there. Like, look at the Braves. The Braves have gotten, like, Ronald Acuna— uh, they've gotten a ton of other players. Uh, Ozzy Albies, I believe, is uh, – maybe uh, – no, don't quote me on that one. But the other, t- you get my point. Other teams are stacking their farm systems with guys outside of the, the draft and doing the international uh, signings, and the Phillies aren't. The Phillies have been notoriously poor at it. So I think they do need to do a better job at it. Now, Yamamoto is – he's a big fish, he is one, you know, according to The Athletic, I believe he was ranked as the fourth best free agent coming in here uh, in this offseason. And a guy, you're going to pay a lot of money to a guy that's never thrown a major league pitch. I understand the risk. Would I like to see the Phillies pursue that? I am, I am open to it. What I'd like to see is them do a better job at getting the, you know, slightly lower tier guys from the international market. But if this is how they get their foot in the water, I'll take it. Take the stab. Uh, he's a younger arm could potentially take off I am absolutely open to it if that's the way they go I would also then want to still pull in another pitcher like a Sonny Gray or a Blake Snell to complement it so that way you have a little bit of you know backdrop because uh, Aaron Noel is going to get paid potentially more than bo- both like two of those guys combined like it's going to be pretty close to that and that way you get to hedge your bets a little bit uh Blake Snell just coming off of Cy Young I I don't How do I put it? I love Blake Snell's stuff as a pitcher. I don't know if I love him for the Phillies. Uh, He's only pitched over 130 innings twice in his career, both years that he won the Cy Young. He's very injury prone. He does not go deep into games. That's kind of the opposite of Nolan. Nolan, he goes out there, you know you're getting about five and two thirds or six innings. That's not Snell. Snell, you could easily be getting four innings uh, on any night. And he'll strike a lot of guys out. He'll walk a lot of guys. It's He's a very different pitcher than Aaron Nola. Um, hey, again, he's a Cy Young winner. He's a very good pitcher. But I I think that's a little bit too much of the opposite direction that we would be going. Uh, so Blake Snell, not my ideal signing, but if he's one of two that we're bringing in to help uh, start this uh, rotation out, then I'll be happy. Um, let's see. We got a lot, of, a lot of other things to get into. But I'll be honest. I think I'm going to take our first break real quick because want to dive into the whole college football scene uh, as well as then also breaking down Eagles and Chiefs because the Super Bowl rematch is coming up and obviously everyone's eyes are going to be on that. But we're going to take our first break here actually because I, I, we'll take that pause before we dive into the football scene. So stay tuned. We'll be right back on Balls, Bats, and Bets right after this. The Gambler, Philly's home for all things sports gambling. Okay, I said we're going to talk some football. Now let's talk some football. So many things to go around. I do want to start off in the college world with a bunch of headlines coming out of this week. Uh, first off, I want to talk about uh, one of the guys I'm now deeming in the luckiest man alive category. Uh, Jimbo Fisher just got fired from Texas A&M. Now, obviously, I'm a little sarcastic when I say the luckiest man alive. Obviously, I'm sure he'd still love to have his job. Uh, but that being said, the man is going to get paid over $20,000 a day for the next 7 years to not coach. Can you, can you think about how absurd that is? Over $20,000 a day, $7 million a year to not coach. Like how the hell does that happen? That is just absolutely insane. And it's wild to me like like I know like NFL how about this taken? let's take it. Let's jump to the NFL for a second. Like guaranteed contracts like are such a taboo thing that no one wants to do. Sean Watson got it. Now, obviously, that looks like a disaster. It's wild to me how guaranteed coaches' contracts are. Because 95% of the time, the minute things start going wrong, who's the first person they look at? Well, it's the coach. So in that case, why in the hell are so many of these coaches getting monster guaranteed deals? Now, Jimbo, hey, he won a championship at Florida State. He's a good college football coach. He is, but A&M paid out the wazoo. For him, and I think he only got there in like 2018. We're in 2023, didn't even make it through the season. Like, he got like one full recruiting class in. Like, I need you to think through that. Like, that's about a, maybe one, I guess two, maybe two full recruiting classes in. That's pretty absurd to give a guy that much money, that much guarantee. And you had all this hype down in College Station. Like, they were challenging Bama, they were doing, they were getting these top recruiting classes. Now, to pay him $7 million a year to not coach your team, when you're going to have to probably go out now and spend that type of money to get someone to replace him? Absolutely absurd. I, man, like Matt Rule's contract uh, with the Carolina Panthers, somewhat similar deal, right? He's getting paid a ton by the Panthers not to coach their team. Now he's at Nebraska. Jimbo will go somewhere else. He'll get money, but he's still getting all that Texas A&M money. Just absolutely absurd. Uh, really uh, just Wild. Wild to me. So I I wonder if that's something that's going to shift in the future. I haven't heard anyone talking about it, but the guarantees of coaching contracts. There's got to be something under the microscope coming shortly. It's, it has to because this is a ridiculous thing that happens way more frequently than I think people realize. Sticking with the college game, I did want to jump into uh, just the overall season and how it's going where this, to me, is going to be the most unpredictable college football playoff since or, uh, they, they went to the four teams, which I think was back in 2013 or 14. It's wild to me how many teams I can see actually winning the national championship this late in the season. There's eight, in my opinion, which is an absurd number. And there's probably eight in most people's opinion. The eight are Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, Florida State, Washington, Oregon, Texas, Alabama. Now, our, all those teams, are they're big schools, Big, actually, everyone's a big state school, um, and how do I put it? It's not like you're shocked that any of them are in the conversation. Like they're these are powerhouse programs, big funding X Y Z. That being said, the fact that I I legitimately can see eight of these teams winning. Obviously, some more than others. Like in my opinion, Georgia still probably has to be your favorite. After they look, they haven't lost a game in two years now. They have to be your favorite in my opinion, but. I can easily see a scenario where Florida State wins. I can see a scenario where Washington and Oregon wins, especially Oregon, honestly. I'll get to that in a second. Of course you're never going to count out Alabama with one loss. It's it's absurd how good this, playoff, this, this season has been for the ambiguity of who's going to actually win it. College football has had a little bit of a problem in the past couple of years where it's been, hey, there's two, maybe three teams that you're like, hey, you can see that. This be two weeks left in the regular season and having eight teams. That's a big improvement. Uh, And it's going to make the college football playoff decision game really – or the um, decision game, excuse me. The college football playoff committee's decision, really difficult. Really difficult. Because here's some of the things that are going to happen over the next couple weeks. So if you want to count conference title week, there's technically three games left for some of these teams – Uh, Georgia and Alabama will meet in the SEC title game. That's locked in. They are going to meet in the SEC title game, so one of those teams will at least have one loss. Michigan and Ohio State will play in the final week of the regular season, as always, so one of those teams will have one loss. Uh, If all plays out, if if both these teams keep winning, I should say, Oregon and Washington will meet in the Pac-12 title game. Now, all these games, and and also look, Florida State will be in the ACC title game, but they're not going up against anyone else in that list. And same thing with Texas; Texas will have to win their time, their conference as well. All this being said, those even aren't elimination games really for some of these teams. Seriously, if Georgia, let's say, let's say Alabama beats Georgia in the SEC title game, who gets in? A one-loss Georgia or an undefeated Florida State? What about a one loss Big 12 Texas champion? How about, let's look at it, let's, let's say Ohio State or Michigan loses. One of them will lose, and then I have to decide one of them versus a one loss Oregon team who's a Pac 12 champion, which could certainly happen. This is going to be an absurd playoff decision. You're going to be able to make cases at least for six teams. By the way, I see it. There's at least going to be six teams that you're talking through. The reason that two of them can be eliminated would be uh, the Oregon losses. If Oregon loses to Washington in a Pac-12 championship and Alabama loses to Georgia, then those two would have two losses. That's it. You're not coming back from that. Um, And obviously, yes, I'm making some assumptions that teams are going to win out. Uh, Look, Georgia could lose to Tennessee on Saturday. They could. I don't think they will, but they could. Uh, And different things like that. But it's really going to be a very interesting down the stretch uh, here and the most difficult decision-making for the committee that they've had to deal with because you're going to have at least two powerhouse programs, in my opinion, staring on the outside looking in, being like, what the hell else did you want me to do? Especially if you have like a Florida State who's undefeated get, get kicked out. I don't think they would do that. I think they're going to have the undefeated teams prioritized, which I frankly do have to agree with. As much as I would think that a, let's use the most extreme example, a one-loss, let's say Georgia loses to Alabama in the SEC title game. Well, Alabama then has to go into the playoff, right? The SEC champion, one loss, they'd have to get in. Georgia versus, a one-loss Georgia versus a undefeated Florida State, you you can't keep them out. You just can't. Like, how do I put it? you are disgracing the ACC at that point if you're keeping out an undefeated champion. And I don't think the committee is going to do that. Now, maybe they find a way to have Georgia in there too, and then someone else is getting booted, but you see the dilemma that's going to come up here. Uh, It's going to be wild. I would pay an absurd amount of money to be a fly on the wall with those debates going on. Obviously, a situation that will never come in, but that is what it is. Uh, I'll give you my official prediction as of this point. Obviously, rights to change, hey, but... That's that's the nature of sports, right? We get new information each week. Uh, my final four prediction, I'll say Georgia, Michigan, Florida State, and Oregon end up getting in. Obviously, by that prediction, I am guessing that Georgia beats Alabama in the SEC title. I am guessing that Oregon wins the Pac-12 title, taking down Washington, a little bit of a revenge scenario. Florida State stays undefeated, and also assuming Michigan will beat Ohio State, there's there's a lot that can happen there, but that is my final four prediction. And honestly, the team that I've been most impressed with this season, weirdly enough, has been Oregon. So in that scenario, with Oregon being the four, I think Oregon could take down Georgia. I know that Oregon got dismantled at the start of last season. I I think that game could be closer. Dan Lanning's a damn good coach, uh, and I think they're figuring some stuff out there. So I would actually, if you're looking at a futures play, Oregon to win the national championship, in my opinion, is a value uh, just based on what that team's gone through and how how they've looked throughout this season. They have one loss on the road at Washington, who's another undefeated team. That's harder than any game that anyone else has played so far this year. It is. Look at the matchups that these teams have played. Until you get Michigan, Ohio State, and Georgia plays Alabama, that's the hardest matchup was that Oregon versus Washington. It was an incredible game. Washington was at home, Oregon lost by three on the road. I am not going to hold that against them. I think that team could easily win the national championship and it is going to be an exciting, exciting coming down the stretch here. A lot of games this weekend. And I'll get into those coming up um, when we do our pick section on uh, the third segment coming up shortly. But I did want to go into big game around here this weekend. Eagles chiefs, Monday night football. Uh, they'll be closing out our football weekend. And the motive, I've heard a lot of people talk about the motivation factor. Like, hey, hey are the Eagles going to get extra amped up for this game, you know, the revenge game off the Super Bowl? And I think it is going to be different guy to guy. I think certain guys come in each week and it's, hey, I'm in the NFL. I'm getting paid to play. I'm doing my damn best every week. I don't care who's across from me. And other guys, hey, guess what? It's human nature. You get a little more inspired if you have – something, some sort of bulletin board material to post on. I, I think it's a mix. Obviously, Sirianni is going to try to play it up and get it the most out of his team like he does every week. Um, and I, the Eagles have the better team, in my opinion. I don't think it's that close right now. The Chiefs receivers are a joke. They're they're picking up Nicole Hardman who got cut by the Jets. Or cut or trade, I guess traded technically, but was going to get cut by the Jets. Like it, The Chiefs... Outside of Travis, a guy named Travis Kelsey, who you guys might also know as Taylor Swift's boyfriend, they, they don't have any other weapons on offense. They are a defensive team this year. Now, granted, they still have the best quarterback in the league in Patrick Mahomes, who can make any offense run. So I'm not saying disrespect the offense, but it's this is not the offensive juggernaut that the Chiefs have been for the past three, four seasons. This team is built around defense. So what the Eagles need to do is find a way to keep up their dominant offense and I can't believe I'm saying this. It's better for the Eagles if this turns into a shootout, in my opinion. I think the grinded out slow game where if you give Mahomes like the last drive to get the field goal, that plays more into what the Chiefs are doing this season compared to a shootout, which the Chiefs just quite frankly, outside of Travis Kelsey. They don't have the firepower to do. They really don't. Look at the offensive numbers this year for the Chiefs. They are not as nearly as explosive as they've been in the past. Patrick Mahomes is having an MVP caliber season. He's making... So much out of nothing. But that doesn't mean that they can keep up with the Eagles offense when you have A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, and obviously Jalen Hurts clicking on all cylinders. Eagles will need to get the run game going back. That will be crucial for them in this scenario. But I really buy in that the Eagles have the better team. I think they, they definitely have the better offense this year. I think the defense is right there. That defensive line for us is obviously a dominant strength, and they will need to get pressure on Mahomes all day. Our secondary, while it's been a hole, up against these receivers, if you can't stop these receivers, you can't stop anybody. So if we actually get torched by these receivers this weekend, it's a bigger problem than just one game. This is the start of that home stretch for the birds that we're talking about. Obviously, the last three games of the season, Giants, Cardinals, Giants, everyone's writing those in as three wins, unless, you know, the last week it doesn't really matter, then sure, you might throw that one uh, and just play the backups. But that being said, this next stretch coming up, I believe it's, uh, make sure I got the order right here it is chiefs. It is bills. After that, he said with a question mark in his voice, hold up, hold up, hold up. Let's get a quick check here. Uh, so it is chiefs, then 49ers or no, sorry. No, I had it right. Chiefs, bills, 49ers, Cowboys, Seahawks. I had that right the whole time. I don't know why I was questioning that order. Uh, Obviously, these are going. To be, this is going to be a rough. This is going to be a tough stretch, in my opinion. I think the Eagles are going to come out of this four and one. I really do. I think they're going to win on Monday night. I, I, I know a lot of people go, going into Kansas City, Mahomes by three or three points or less. Like you, ought, that's kind of like an auto rule for some people. You take it, and I understand that thinking. I think the Eagles come out on top in that one. I think they will lose one of the games to the Bills, Forty Nineers, or Cowboys. And I'm not that nervous about the Seahawks, if I'm being quite honest. And maybe I should be. But I think there's a 4 and one stretch. I hear people talking about, oh, just go two and three and you'll be fine. That's not the way this team's built. It's just not. This team is built to dominate and win games. Uh, I get that everyone's like looking at our schedule and being like, oh, look at this gauntlet of all these teams we have to play. Well, guess what? They have to play the Philadelphia freaking Eagles. So good luck to them. Especially when Buffalo's showing holes, Dallas has shown holes, uh, Seattle has shown holes. Like, Look what happened with them against the Ravens. Um, even the 49ers were having a three-game lose streak. All those teams have shown holes. The Eagles really haven't. We blew a game to the Jets. That's it. I know that we haven't had the prettiest of wins, but there's are still wins. And I'm not trying to say the Eagles don't have any holes. Obviously, the secondary can improve on play. Linebackers can improve on play. But this team is the most complete in the NFL. So being coming into this saying, oh, just give me two and three, that's garbage. Get that out of here. We are going to do better than two and three. So I think the Eagles come out of this on top. Uh, I will say it, it plays into a little bit of a shootout-ish type of scenario. I'm going to go 28-24 20, uh, birds. That's what I'm going with. I think the offense is picking up a little bit. Um, we don't see as dominant performance out of the defense as we would like, but the offense is able to get out and keep it running and turn it into the track meet that that's the way it's going to benefit the Eagles, which is shocking to say against the Chiefs, but that's the type of game that will benefit the Eagles this weekend. All right. Did our football breakdown. Still more football to come. We're going to talk picks, picks, picks coming up in our third segment. So we're going to take a quick break. Be right back here on Fox Sports The Gambler after this. Spreads, totals, and all the prop bets in between. It's The Gambler. Final segment time on Balls, Bats, and Bets on this beautiful Friday evening. Great weekend of football coming up. Obviously coming towards the end of that college football season like we were just talking about. NFL, we're in the second half. There's man, football. Again, we love it. We still got plenty of it, but it comes and goes so quickly. just runs out the door. So we got to get those picks in while we can, and that's what we're going to dive into here. First one I want to start off with, uh, and I'm going to segue into a slight other topic to start, but starting off, first pick, Maryland plus 19 versus Michigan. Reason? There's a lot of distraction in Michigan right now. And I know they're still undefeated and they're still a great team, but a lot of distractions. And also guess what? This is the week before Ohio state. I don't think it's that easy for Michigan to get up for this game. Like I think it's, everyone's looking forward. Maryland on the other hand is a pretty damn good team. Let's look at what the Terrapins have done so far, uh, pulling up their recent games. Give me one second. Uno dos. And, uh, trace. There we go. Maryland six and four on the year. Uh, went over Nebraska last week. They did get blown out by Penn State. I agree that's an ugly, ugly loss. But they had played Ohio State pretty well. They did end up losing by 20 before that. And they've had a little bit of a rough stretch here, but it's their last home game of the year. I think they wake up and cover the 19 versus Michigan, especially with all the distractions Michigan has going on on their side. Uh, And one of those distractions being the Jim Harbaugh suspension, which I'll just quickly, not going to spend too much time on it, but this feels like the cards are on the wall for Harbaugh to leave Michigan, right? Like there's so many things that's going against him. And by against him, I mean, I think he's done things that are wrong. And the first suspension he wasn't arguing with, right? He started off the year on a four-game suspension, or maybe it was a three-game suspension. And there's no arguing about that one. This one now, the sign-stealing, there's no evidence supposedly that he actually knew about it, yet the NCAA still suspended him. NCAA is a an awful organization. We all know they they've been run very poorly for a long time. I don't know if they got this one right or not. Uh, again, I don't know. No, like no one knows if Harbaugh knew, right? Like I, I struggle to see how he didn't know. But that being said, if you have no evidence to suspend somebody without evidence is a very interesting dilemma. Um, Michigan and Harbaugh keep saying the big to the big 10 and the big 10 keeps saying to the NCAA, Hey, there is no evidence of this. I don't know what your, why he's being suspended doesn't matter at least at this point ncaa is a uh, judge jury and executioner and for now has made harbaugh suspended he will not be active for this game or more importantly the ohio state game next week um i think is gonna end up leaving michigan over this at some point like the, there's just too many things building up in that direction he's done great he's been a great coach for michigan they while they haven't won the national title they've gotten really close uh, and he's built that up into another dominant program once again but uh, I don't see Harbaugh staying in Michigan that much longer if all this stuff keeps coming down on him um next play pure spread read Miami versus Louisville Miami unranked at home my uh, one point favorite Louisville number nine in the country uh, in the AP poll one loss this is this is telling you all you need to know the spread that my, the fact that Miami's favorite in this game Miami is going to win this game uh coming down to it uh I Mario Cristobal put a signature win on his resume for the season. Miami's building something. They've had been a little bit up and down this year. Louisville has had a great season. There's no denying that. I think the wheels fall off just a little bit here, uh, where Miami gets that one done next up, uh, another game where the unranked team is favored Clemson favored by seven and a half points over North Carolina. that one, it took me a second to see this one. But I'm like, you know what? Clemson's building something a little bit towards the end here. Had that huge win over Notre Dame. Um, And North Carolina is very much a... How do I put it? They're Drake May is a great quarterback. They're very offensively driven. But there's some questions that I just don't fully buy in yet to North Carolina. Coming off a double OT win over Duke. I know Duke beat Clemson earlier in the year, but that was with Riley Leonard. That Duke that played last weekend, they didn't have Riley Leonard. That's a big difference. I think North Carolina is going to struggle in this game against Clemson. Uh, And I think Clemson is trying to salvage a little bit of that season. They're at home, last home game of the year before they go over to South Carolina to play in that rivalry. I think they are going to beat North Carolina this year. I'm going to lay the 7.5. I can't believe I'm saying that, but I'm going to lay the 7.5 with Clemson to build up that momentum, to keep that momentum rolling over North Carolina. Game of the weekend after that that, that coming up. Oregon State versus Washington. Oregon State is a, a 1.5 point favorite. Uh, Oregon State number 12 in the nation in most polls, uh, Washington undefeated at number 5. I, Oregon State's dominated at home 9-1 and their last 10 against the spread when they're playing out of Corvallis. I think I said that right, Corvallis? No, oh, wait, got, let me get them. Give the Beavers the pronoun- their correct pronunciation. Hold, please, that's bad work by me. Uh, where is this, Corvallis? Cor- Corvallis, right, that's got to be it. I, I don't know why else I would have that wording in my head. Let's see. Let's get the official pronunciation here for all those Beaver fans out there. Corvallis, we got it. Uh, Research Stadium, that's the game of the year now for Oregon State. Again, Oregon State, the team that's right now left behind in all the Pac-12 migrations. I think this this is their Super Bowl. I'm actually going to call for the upset. Go Oregon State over Washington. I know we were just talking through all those different scenarios in the prior segment. This would obviously be a wrench into that. Uh, So I will take the Beavers to take down the um, Huskies there. Uh, with the beavers being at home dominant against the spread. Uh, the next play in college, Minnesota, I'm gonna take twenty-seven and a half points of them. They're playing Ohio State. Similar reasoning for Michigan. It's a game, it's Ohio State's game before the big uh, the big rivalry coming up next week. I don't see them being able to stay focused enough to dominate and absolutely destroy Minnesota. I think Minnesota PJ Fleck, keep it close. Again 28 and a half points is a or sorry, 27 and a half points is a ton. I can see Ohio State win this game by easily 14 to 20 points. Um, but P.J. Fleck will keep the game, make it ugly. I think they find a way to get the uh, get the cover in that, that game. And lastly, I'm going to go under 46 in Duke versus UVA. Duke coming off a big running gun game against North Carolina. That's not the style they're going to have to play against UVA. It's going to be more controlled going under here, under 46 in Duke-UVA in that ACC action matchup. Uh, next, going jumping over the NFL, got four plays for you. I'm on with the Chargers over the Packers, laying the three points. This is the game. The Chargers are the most up and down team in the league for the past several seasons, but this is a game they get they get people buying into them again. They have enough offensive firepower. I think it's going to be tough for the Packers to keep up with Packers. Great second half team, but probably get off to a slow start. Uh, yeah, now I'm by I think the Chargers dominate that one. Next, under 39 and a half in Bills versus Jets. This number almost can't be low enough for me. Uh, I think this is a very ugly game. The Jets' defense, we know, is elite. The Bills' offense has been a disaster. And while they might figure some things out over this rest of the season, this is an ugly one. Zach Wilson and Tee Company are not going to be able to put up much on that Bills' defense either. Under 39.5. I think this game might be under 30, complete honesty. This is my favorite pick of the weekend. I'm going to go under 39.5 in Bills' Jets. Uh, Broncos versus Vikings. I can't believe I'm about to say these words, but I'm almost starting to trust the Broncos. Like I, I, I am. Like they've, they've really started to show me something. Uh, this is, I believe, our Sunday night football game. Yes, it is. Um, Broncos are four and five, coming off a win against the Bills that like we saw last week, and they're on a three-game win streak where they beat the Chiefs and Packers before that, including a bye week in the middle there. I, the Josh Dobbs, I, it's a fun story. I just don't see it lasting very long for the Vikings. Josh Dobbs, is he's a backup. That's what he is. Uh, and they're missing some firepower there in Minnesota. I, I expect the Broncos to get this win on Sunday night. I really do. And I'm surprised I can say that confidently. But I'm going with the Broncos to get back to 500, uh, laying two points there. Lastly, lowest total in the NFL I've seen in a long time, 33 in Pittsburgh versus Cleveland. It's that low, folks. You know what I'm doing. I'm taking the under. They're begging you to take the over, and I just am not falling for it uh, Kenny Pickett, nothing impressive. The Browns offense without Deshaun Watson, nothing impressive. I think this is going to be a grind it out, fight it out, maybe like 13, 10 game. Like this is going to be an ugly one. Uh, so give me that under all day, every day in that one o'clock game for Pittsburgh versus Cleveland. Um, that's all the picks I got for you guys. I did want, I had a couple more minutes left, so we'll dive into this. Going back all the way to our Phillies, where we started at the top of the hour, there's a, a name that everyone's been talking about in terms of a trade, and that would be uh, the fish who now lives out west, Mr. Mike Trout. And there's a lot of opinions on what the Phillies, they should do in this situation. If Trout is available, which it sounds like he is, the Angels going to lose Shohei Otani. They're not going anywhere. If they can get someone to eat some of that Trout contract, they're absolutely going to go for it. Trout has seven years, over $200 million left on this deal, so it's a lot there, and he's been injured, not playing a full season in about four or five years at this point, uh, discounting the COVID season in 2020. I There's a lot of reasons not to do it. The injury risk, how much it locks you in with this core for so long, um, and you're going to have a couple ugly years in about five years. Like That's just going to be a known fact. All, all Phillies fans, get ready because that's coming. Even without this trade with Trout, but it just makes it all the worse. That being said, if I can get Mike Trout for barely any minimal prospect gain uh, or prospect cost and the Angels are going to pick up some of that contract, I have to do it. Mike Trout, when he's healthy, is still one of the best players in baseball. You add him to this lineup and it's the best lineup in baseball. I know the Braves were absolutely incredible. You add Mike, uh, Mike Trout to this and if he can find a way to stay healthy, it's the best lineup in baseball, by a decent amount, in my opinion, it's just that strong. And you're also look the the fanfare and the story of it. There's obviously already electricity around Citizens Bank Park. I'm, no one's arguing that it's an incredible atmosphere. But if you bring Mike Trout into this and things actually go well with this team, it's 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 a it's a World Series winner. It is. If he can stay healthy, you are going to propel yourself into being probably right there as the favorite for next season. I am I understand the hesitation by a lot of folks. And again, I'm saying I don't want to give up much prospect capital for it because of the risk we're taking on. So if they are asking for it, like, I'm, there's no way they're touching Andrew Painter, right? Like I, They're getting some C, B and C level prospects in this. And may, look, maybe they would eat some of the cat. Maybe they take Castellanos, and that helps you out with some contract wise. I'd be okay with that. Um, obviously, look, I just want Middleton to pay out the wazoo. Like, hey, bring in, keep Castellanos, and bring in Mike Trout. Just have Trout start instead of Rojas. <laughs> if we can make that work, all our dreams come true. Um, that being said, I'm not saying that can happen, but I'm in the uh, I'm in the do the deal phase. Like, hey, if you can get Mike Trout. You go get Mike Trout. You take on that risk because Mike Trout is an all-time great player. Should still, by his age, have several years left, right near his prime. He's just got to stay healthy. Last season was a little bit of a freak injury. Of what it's he hasn't had like a a recurring injury. It just keeps getting broken down with freak little injuries. I buy in into Mike Trout and get this done and get that um, and get this team over the hump. I fully believe that. So that's my pick. I that's my play. I would take I, if I'm the Phillies. I would go in for Mike Trout and pull the trigger, get in there. Um, with that, I'm going to recap our picks again. We'll do it. We're going to go Maryland plus 19, Miami minus one, Clemson minus seven and a half, Oregon State minus one and a half, Minnesota plus 27 and a half, under 46 in Duke versus Virginia. Then going over to our NFL plays, Chargers minus three uh, over the Packers, under 39 and a half Bills Jets. Broncos minus two, under 33, and Browns-Steelers. Those are your plays for the weekend, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. As always, much appreciated. Stay tuned all year to The Gambler. Uh, we got another watch party coming up on November 30th. Uh, I'll have to double-check with Sean on where that location is. I honestly forgot to tell my head, but keep a lookout for that. Listen into The Daily Ticket, The Line Change, all the great shows and content that The Gambler has on these airwaves and also online. Just incredible guys doing a lot of great work for you out there to give you the best edge across the board in any of your sports plays, and just information. All right, and with that, let's close out Friday night. Balls, bats, and bets is over for today, folks. Have a great weekend. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky.